0: Right, okay. OK. Ready to go? <laughs> Hello, this is Colin Schindler, welcoming you again to another edition of Football Ruin My Life. the miracle podcast that takes years off your life by turning you back into a teenager or a young person who can remember as if it were yesterday the triumphs and disasters that befell your team in the 60s, 70s and 80s including the offside decisions that led to your winning goal being disallowed and the last-minute deflected winner from a shot by an opposition player who should have been sent off in the first half. Joining me as ever as we saunter towards senility through the land of old (laughs) fartism are John Holmes, open bracket Leicester, close bracket, and Patrick Barclay, open bracket Dundee, close bracket. My ethnic origins are well known because when I die, the doctors will find the words... Manchester City, written on my heart, much as they were on the heart of Mary Tudor, apparently, although she allegedly substituted Calais for them at the last minute. And I have steadfastly refused to demand that Alex Ferguson be burnt at the stake. Enough with the merriment. There'll be no more of that. As we discussed this week, the best team I ever saw who didn't play home matches in Dundee or Leicester. You can have any English team other than Leicester and any international team other than England. So, John, which team are you going to nominate?
1: I think, curiously, coming from Leicester, the team that I most enjoyed watching for a period and I was able to watch a lot of them was the Forest team, the first season that they came up and won the league. The team that contained our recent guest, Martin O'Neill, one of the best left-wingers I've ever seen in my life, in John Robertson, Mm -hmm. Peter Shilton, Brian Clough, tamed as it were, Larry Lloyd and Kenny Burns, Frank Clark who achieved success over the age of 35, he'd been at Newcastle for years and suddenly there he was, member of a team that won the championship. A thing, of course, he'd never had any success at Newcastle and for such a nice man as Frank, one of the nice men of football, yes. that was great. Colin Barrett, Ian Bowyer, Archie Gemmell, Peter With, who, of course, later went on and won the championship with Villa. Surprisingly, he left Forest after they won that year and the young Tony Woodcock, scoring goals all over the place and emerging as a major talent. They were a very exciting side to watch. Later, they became much, much more defensive as a side and relied more and more on Shelton and a sort of Catenaccio defence, if I may use a phrase beloved of uh, Brian Glanville. Yeah, they were one of my favourite sides ever to watch at a later point.
0: All right, we'll come back and discuss that in more detail. But initially, Paddy?
2: I should really have asked you to define the terms because my favourite team other than my own was the Barcelona team of Rijkaard, sort of morphing into Guardiola and Villanova, who had a year or two before, unfortunately, he got cancer. But that period of Barcelona was definitely my favourite second team of all time. But if we or putting it in a British context, then it'd be the Spurs double team mm. all day long. I yeah. loved that team. with the won the double in 60-61 when I was um, 40, <laughs> four, 14. <laughs> you can do four, that, math 14. So I was impressionable. And so I would run around the parks of Dundee pretending to be Cliff Jones because he had everything I didn't have, which was speed and courage. I was a slow coward. But in my fantasy... I could pretend to be Cliff Jones and fly through the air. I could go through the whole team, Brownbaker, Henry Blansblatt, Norman Mackay, Jones, White Smith, Alan Dyson, sub Medwin, if they had subs in those days, I don't know. And growing up in Dundee, the great thing was that the Saturday night match of the day type programme in Scotland, they would have a Scottish match on for about 40 minutes and then they'd have an English match for about 20 minutes. And it always seemed to be that Spurs team so I could watch 20 minutes, which was a lot, you know, at least once well, a month. Well, you did
0: very well, because as I remember, and John mm. may contradict me on this one, mm. but it was before Match of the Day, which didn't start until a couple mm. of years later, and there was very, very little, even recorded, black and white, mm. first division football, on television. I
1: think it came in with BBC Two, didn't it? 64, 65. Yeah, yeah. I I think- interesting that you should like the Spurs side minus Greaves. Well, uh, Graves
2: and Gilzean, who, of course, was my,
1: yeah. my hero. I would also have a lot of affection for that Spurs side. I think the point is, it's not the same as your first side, is it? Because your first side, you absolutely stick with them. You have other sides that you like watching for a period of time. I'll go along with you with the Barcelona side... Iniesta, one of my favourite players of all time, ah. the sort of silent assassin, ah. assassin in terms of winning games. He won the World Cup. World Cup for Spain and Javi, of course. Javi ah. uh, was a my favourite. They were a terrific side. They had the left back as well, who was a tremendous player. Yeah,
2: Jordi Alba. Yeah, yeah. they also had the very quick right back, Dani
1: Alves. Yeah, uh,
2: I mean, they just had perfect balance, and the two little guys. I mean. Xavi was my favourite. He was, to me, perhaps even ahead of Messi as the best. But of course, before Messi, if you talk about that team, even prettier, even more entertaining was Ronaldinho. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the playlist, if you were to look at a compilation of the 20 best tricks and goals scored by... Ronaldinho or Messi, I think I'd take the CD of, this is for older people, the, CD, the DVD of...
0: Quite modern, we're talking about the nineties. what are <laughs> you talking about? I would about? take
2: the DVD of Ronaldinho over the DVD of Messi, because Ronaldinho was a bit more sexy, a bit more of an exhibitionist.
0: Right, I'm going to be controversial, and all those Manchester City fans who already hate me because I tell what I perceive to be the truth about Abu Dhabi are now going to be even more out of their minds with anger and rage. Because my favourite team was the first match I ever saw was Manchester City versus Manchester United at Old Trafford in the end of 1955. Oh. And the team that I saw, the Busby Babes, yeah. were everything, apart from the fact that they were called Manchester United in wore red shirts, yeah. they had everything that I adore about football. Mm. They were local Mm-hmm. They were young, mm. they were quick, they were unlike anything. You know, the big long ball that wolves had done had been so dominant in the yeah. early nineteen fifties. They were creative, they were consciously and
2: combated that, didn't they? And he
0: did. And I just think Bosby's great creation was that team. I think he did very well in his first team that won the cup in forty eight because he was starting with a bombed out Old Trafford and started from scratch. And, of course, the great Lord Charlton uh, best side developed through the 1960s. But his team, I think, if you could talk to him
2: beyond the grave, close would be your, that Close one. your eyes, and who's the player that you see that well, sums up everything about that? Well, it's Duncan Edwards. What about Eddie Coleman?
0: But that was the point. I can say that Wood, Falksburn, Coleman, Jones, Edwards, Berry, and Taylor, Violet, Pegg. Uh, Fantastic team. Seven of them died Sometimes
1: down. Couldn't get in the team because of Scanlon.
0: And Bobby Charlton was going through it this time mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah. So was, right. it was already Tom, changing.
1: Tommy Taylor was a dynamic centre forward. Oh yeah. If you see the action of him, he really was a terrific player. Yeah. So they were a very attractive sight. and you know there were songs written about them. Yeah, the, the cal- there was Calypso. The Calypso. About them. Uh, yeah. so, they still play it, don't so, they? So, yeah. They also were in Europe. And in those days, of course, we all supported the English English. side. Yes. And even in some cases, the Scottish side, of Mm -hmm. course, Mm -hmm. we all supported Celtic and the Lisbon Lions. Yes. And the following year, the Manchester United side. Yes. No, no, I'm back back off that one. (laughs) And Liverpool in Europe, we did support, but there came a point where that sort of stopped. Yeah. I think the hooliganism was a factor in yes, that. Yes, it was. And also there was much more football on the television and yeah. so on. I mean, you then get daft other sides that you get to. I mean, I always look for the results of the hopeless sides. I always wanted to go to Hartlepool because <laughs> they were always terrible. I had to apply for re-election almost every year. And I had this, I must go and see Hartlepool. And I eventually went to the Victoria Ground. Victoria Ground, Ground. Yeah, Victoria been, Ground I've been, I've been in, in Harlepool, <coughs> staying with a friend of mine who lived in Seton Carew, mm-hmm. which seemed a very unlikely sort of place to be called, let alone that it was yeah. near <laughs> Hartlepool. And, of course, the area up there, you've got the backcloth of the Middlesbrough skyline, where the yeah. sky wasn't blue, it was multicoloured. From, from the, the RCI ICI. ICI. Yeah. There was virtually no terracing, It was all the hopeless things that I'd sort of thought about as a hopeless side. And then, actually, then Clough got there Mm -hmm. and he got them promoted. And that was when I became aware of Clough. I thought, wow, this man's got the worst side in England promoted. And my favourite Scottish side were Breakin, who were equally hopeless. And when I found out that their average gait, was 213 that's right i got even more excited about it and thought i must go i've never been there yeah but they also had a year or two recently where they got promoted but now they've, yeah. been, they've gone out of the league yes that's right
2: i've been to brechin to watch dundee player friendly and the thing about brechin is it's a lovely ground it's a three-sided ground what is the fourth side answer a hedge
1: <laughs> yes, that's it. fantastic. Yes, uh, that's the
2: fourth it. side of the ground is a hedge. But uh, yeah, Brecon and Forfa are lovely places
1: to watch The football. side are founded on a lie. Brecon is not a city. I know that because somebody, ah. some poor person on Pointless, thought they were being very clever, naming... Cities and trying to get a pointless on I said, "Breaking." I said, "Not a, in. It not the, a
2: cathedral." In
1: well, there? yes,
0: that's the, I thought that was. But it's not a
1: city. No,
2: no, no. no, no it's not. So a the city. whole side is a lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but are we talking about sort of extramarital affair, short-lived yes. extramarital affairs, where you can fall in love with a team for a short time? If so, I can remember being in love with Sunderland. I can't remember exactly when it was, but they were struggling as usual at Roker Park. With a, you know even 15,000 people, the Roker mm. roar was not a myth. Mm. It was a lovely place to go and watch football. I can't even get, maybe the 80s, early 80s or something. And they were really struggling. And in a state of utter panic, they put three 17-year-olds in the team. Arnott, Elliot, who was a defender. Arnott was a midfielder. And Raoul, who was a striker. And they put these three kids in the team, and suddenly... They've just won every game. I think they were local kids. I was making excuses to go to Sunderland matches because I, I just wanted to watch this team invigorated by youth. So for six months,
1: I was in love with Sunderland. We were all in love with Sunderland, weren't we? I when mean? they won uh, the Cup. When they won the Cup. Yeah. And the whole romance of that story, they were struggling in the second division, sorry, championship, What it? Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Bob Stokoe took over as manager. They only had... Montgomery, who we knew was too good, he should have been transferred really. Mm. And suddenly they took off, and people like Bobby Kerr, who'd been there for years, and Billy Hughes, and Vic Hallam, and people like that, came alive. Mm. And there was the site that they won that cup final. Montgomery made those two double the save, best save ever seen at Wembley, yeah. according to legend. Mm. And then there was Stoko running across yeah, with his funny hat, yeah. and so we all fell in love with it. Not only because it was a great story about Sunderland, of course, but we all, as we've covered before, we all hated Leeds at that point. Yep. So you do have these periods, as Paddy said, mm. about other sides yeah. for a period of time.
0: Now, do you, either of you have the problem that I do of taking on the aggravation of friends' sides? So I actually have a very good friend, Tony Badger, who's my boss at Cambridge University, Professor of American History, who's an obsessive Bristol Rovers fan. And ah. really get upset when Bristol Rovers lose because I think Tony's upset but it's nothing to do with me at all. Do you ever take on everybody, anybody else's...
1: You're, you're probably nicer, I suspect, Colin. You yeah. certainly are, than Paddy and I yeah. because we probably have a silent snigger to yeah. ourselves yeah. and then say, oh, I'm very sorry you lost <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> it's called schadenfreude. Yes, an yes, emotion, yes. Colin, which, apart from... Manchester United, when you're out talking to anyone there, is unknown to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think
2: nobody has Man United as a second favourite club. Well, then, the, yes. In the Busby well, debabes,
1: they were the second favourite club yes. for everybody who yes. wasn't a yeah, Manchester well, United well, right, fan. And following the Munich aircraft, yes. of course, because that was such a tragic story yeah. that affected that. that was a everybody national can everybody. remember where they were when Kennedy yeah. was shot and when yes. they found out that's right. about the Munich aircraft.
0: Obviously, I was, I was in Manchester at the yeah. time, aged eight. It was like the funeral was in the air. It wasn't just, you know, Mm. the coffins of the the men in the six miles away. Mm. You just felt it walking to school. You felt it hanging heavy over you, this Mm. idea that Manchester had suffered. It wasn't just the Busby, but it was Manchester suffered. And that went on for, for quite a while. So the only time I've ever wanted United to win an important game was when they got to the cup final in '58. And they got beaten by Bolton Wanderers, oh, so they lost it. it. What the great thing about the Busby Babes was, and Busby himself at the time, is he had none of that Ferguson arrogance. And that was the thing that differs for me. There was no sense of you know yeah, strutting you're, you're arrogance Manchester on Manchester United, which on, I hate. Spot on. It wasn't there in 56, 57. It just wasn't. And when Bobby Charlton talks about mm. the boys that went, you can see in his eyes the mm. sense of...
1: Family. It's, yeah, it's my there, family. That. There are sides, and they get combinations of players... Who can't fail to be captivated by Everton when they had the ball, Kendall Harvey midfield and Alec Young playing up front and so on. I also, again, this is a bit of anti-Leeds really, but the Chelsea side that won the cup, these were, to uh, someone in their late teens, early 20s, Chelsea were a sort of sexy side, if you like, the area... There was Alan Hudson. Charlie Cook. There was Charlie Cook, one of my favourite players. Absolutely. They were very much a stylish, but not only for the way they played, but for the way they looked and yeah. so on. Yeah, uh, the ones, They had something they, they, that they, Arsenal they, always lacked. Do you know what they, they
2: had? They also had, they had white socks. Just
0: made what colour kind of difference? White socks.
2: Football looks better if you're oh, wearing is, white is, socks. Okay. And it's also practical. It's easier to pick is out it? a teammate in the very congested... Because we don't know how... Congested I know, Ferguson was pitches. obsessed
0: with losing at Southampton when they wore grey shirts. Yeah, right? yes. that was because claimed... Nobody could see their, their team back,
2: right? Oh, he could always come out with a <laughs> red herring that would <laughs> fool most of the people most of the time. Yeah. But, including me, I swallowed that one and put it in the paper. But,
0: but I, I wouldn't have gone with that Chelsea side simply because they d- did have Webb and Harris and some fairly unpleasant characters. I mean, yeah. unpleasant in footballing terms. And mm. Arsenal has Peter Story. But I go always for the... Delicate, ball-playing, you know... Yes, <laughs> that's why you're
1: a nicer person. I, I suppose we they were like Jimmy Cagney figures, weren't they? We yeah. quite liked yeah. gangster films. Yes. Dave Webb and Harris were characters who could have appeared as sort of <laughs> well, henchmen in the, in the Italian job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I
2: mean, David Webb, even, you know, that chin that he'd borrowed from Desperate Dan. I don't know, you're tempted to say he would have been played by Charles Bronson, but David Webb played it better. You can <laughs>
1: imagine Michael Caine saying to David Webb, you're only supposed to take <laughs> him out.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, every team had hard ones. You're talking about Everton, the Golden Triangle, mm. whatever it was called, Ball, Ball Kendall, Harvey. I liked the later midfield of Everton: Trevor Stephen, Paul Bracewell, Peter Reid, and Kevin Sheedy. I thought that was a perfectly balanced midfield. But they also had Pat Vanden Howe, mm. yes. you know, who proverbially would kill his granny. You know,
0: mm. when John started this conversation off by mentioning the, the Forest side of the late 1970s, Archie Gemmill was an extraordinarily skillful, talented yeah. player. Mm. Yeah. Rather forgotten these days, not not terribly well appreciated. But you know, a, all a, we ever see of Archie Gable is the goal he scores Is the, the
2: goal score. against Holland? Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: against Holland in the seventy-eight World Cup. that yeah. was a fantastic goal. But he was a very fine player. A
1: member of the Derby side that won the league and the Forest side that won the league. These people yeah. who've won the league with two clubs, a bit like managers who've won the league with two clubs. These are remarkable people, aren't they? Is there anybody who ever won the won the league with three clubs?
2: But north of the border. Gordon Smith won the league with Hearts, Hibbs and Dundee between the end of the Second World War and 1962. Well, that's remarkable
1: that he never won it with Rangers or Celtic. Never played but for Rangers or
2: Celtic and won the league with three, three different clubs. clubs. But no, that's extraordinary. Is it? That, that To this day, no player has won the league with three different clubs.
1: I mean, Robert Huth won it with Chelsea and with uh, Leicester, bizarrely. But not with Stoke. Cant- yeah, Kante won it the other way round. Yeah. Mares has now won twice. That's more recent. Yeah. They're very much more recent. Of course, players stayed longer. That's right. In those days. So it's unusual. Players also switched from one side of the town to another mm-hmm. then. Dave Hickson yeah. played for right. Everton and J- uh, Liverpool. Morrissey? Yeah. John Morrissey. Yeah. yeah.
2: He played for Liverpool and yeah. Everton. And of course, probably even more explosively, Phil Chisnell played for Liverpool and Man United. Well, yeah.
0: he, he was the, the exception to the rule because he was, yeah. when the maximum wage was abolished in the early nineteen sixties, there was apparently an agreement between Busby and Shankly at Liverpool. Yeah, to keep that, the that wages. They would not pay more than thirty-five pounds to anybody, That's so true. That's no player would, would be true. tempted to go to the other That's one absolutely for the money. True, it is yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. 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 And there
1: Ray was, Kennedy was another who went from Arsenal Arsenal, from the double-winning side. In fact, won the double for Arsenal with his goal at Tottenham and then went up to Liverpool. But I don't think anyone's ever done it with three clubs.
2: No, no. You see, you talk about our favourite second club. I don't think any of us probably fell in love with Arsenal until Arsene Wenger came along. I think that's that's true. true. Um, You know, the Bertie Me team, it's not considered beautiful. It's not considered appealing to the aesthetic senses nor were the George Graham teams, although they did play some very, very good football, those teams. Well, Bill uh, Campbell, and
0: Henry changed the whole club well,
2: Absolutely, mm-hmm. yes. I think all over the world, actually, people had Arsenal as their second favourite club, didn't they? It, it, well, it
1: was the transformation at that point. And the point you make about the Arsenal double-winning side and comparison, I talked a bit about Chelsea and Chelsea being great. Arsenal had Charlie George, but Charlie George was... He wasn't never... Quite as attractive as a personality no. as Osgood, for instance. No, well, I'm not no. sure
0: that, uh, that Jackie Charlton would agree with you about that because I think Osgood was probably the first name in the little black
1: book. So I understand.
2: <laughs> the strikers in those days were naughty. I mean, very naughty. I Are mean, you saying
0: that Mike Summerby was a naughty player?
1: Oh, apart from Mike Summerby, of course, <laughs> he was the naughtiest of the law. Yes, probably so. And Terry Payne and Billy Whitehurst. Yeah, and, and Andy and, Lockhead and Alan Clark. You and know, what I mean, Clark, yeah. well, Clark
0: was an ankle tapper. He was sliffer. He was awkward and difficult and unpleasant, but he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't the crippler.
2: But Brian Kidd was a dirty player. You know, he, well, they excused it by saying that you know you had to. It was kill or be killed. Yes. Perhaps Billy Whitehurst overdid it. Because, I mean, he'd nutty his teammates, wouldn't
1: he? Never yes, mind he the did, opposition. Yes.
2: <laughs> but, oh, they were frightening. I much prefer it nowadays. I'll tell you one thing, if I might get a little bit fogeyish
1: though.
0: <laughs> You're being encouraged, to be fair. I that's agree. That's why we're doing this. One thing... Well,
1: this I, is your last appearance on this podcast, what, what, due to your admission that you much prefer it what, now.
2: <laughs> one, one, one thing that I often think, when you watch the jersey pulling and the grappling... That you get in the game now, it's a clear trade-off that the referees will allow all of that in return for don't break each other's legs, lads. Mm. And I sometimes watching all the grappling and the referee waving play on because he hasn't pulled his jersey hard enough. I often think maybe a good old rake down the Achilles wasn't as <laughs> bad <laughs> after all. As you
0: both know, I, I watch a lot of this this on TV four called the Big Match Revisited, which has yeah. football from the nineteen seventies on. And you notice very, very quickly that the referee simply does not pull people up for things that yeah. you would have got a yellow card for now. Yeah, he just, yeah. You just know, wave play on it, it. You give as good as you get and it's all part of the game. Does it make it a better game for having it stopped all the time, for referees to give free kicks and so on? Or were they right in the old days to
1: wave play on? I think it's undoubtedly made it a bit more skillful game. The other thing you find from watching that big match revisited is, of course, the standard of the pitches which is a thing we haven't discussed actually in depth because there's (laughs) not much to be said. The pitches then were rubbish. A lot of them, they had no grass on them at all. Ipswich was always reckoned to be good. They had a good playing surface didn't Mm. they at Ipswich? And then of course we got to the stage where there were artificial pitches. QPR installed used which was horrible, ball used to, they used to, Luton. Luton used to bounce all over the place. Luton, yes. Luton. Well, that was huh? worse than the bad pitches we had. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, I
0: remember being at the baseball ground in the 76 77 season when City got beaten 4 0 by Derby when they were about to win yeah. it and Derby got a penalty, and they couldn't find the penalty spot. Yes. And they had to mark it out, and the man had to, had to mark, come, the man had to come on with the, with the white Oh, brush. yeah, with the 11
2: yes. eleven. That's right, yes, a and, and, and a
0: white brush and white wash
2: to, <laughs> to mark the spot. But there, some some of the the best football was played on unplayable pitches. Derby at the baseball ground was a, a very good case in point. Another one would be QPR at Loftus Road before it went artificial. Mm. It was another mud heap, mm. Mm. and yet Gordon Jago produced that wonderful team. A very good. You know, with Dave Thomas, Wide, and Stan Bowles. And, and Stan Bowles in it, and Don Masson. Don, Don, Don Masson. Lovely, lovely passer, and he's passing the ball over a ploughed field.
1: To get back to best other yeah. sides, the sides that we support, I think we would all, all three of us agree that when we first saw the Real Madrid side Um, beat Eintracht Frankfurt I can remember being totally mesmerised by Di Stefano this dribbles that he made by appearing to step all over Mm. the ball and round it and Hento and Puskas and so on that really made an enormous impact on everybody
0: We're of an age where we couldn't have seen the 1953 Hungary-England game, which was a big impact on the game. But we're all of an age where we saw that match, that 7-3 game. The 7-3 game, yeah, that
2: was a literal and metaphorical eye-opener, wasn't it, that one? Yes. I think also, I know I mentioned earlier Chelsea's white socks. Obviously, Real Madrid took it stage further by playing in the all-white strip, which, of course, the principle of that, if not the colour, was... Followed later by Leeds. And Bill Shankly changed Liverpool to All Red yeah. because of after that. Well, Bloomfield attempted yeah. to change Leicester for one did, season uh, did to he? All White. Uh, did he? And
1: went back because of opposition from the fans. Mm. And then there was the ill-fated attempt at Cardiff. Oh, they went from blue to red. Didn't was they? it Vincent Tan? Was his yeah. name? Yeah, oh, yes. Name? They he said because color. it was a lucky colour. No, that's right. Even yeah. though they were called the Bluebirds. The yeah. I, mean, I mean, we've now moved into the age of things we really hate well, yes. about modern football. Yes. Owners doing different things.
0: You see, I could never buy a red anything really when the colours. No, I, was I, I, I couldn't. Bought, buy. Every car I bought has been blue. Yeah. Everyone.
2: I'll be honest, I really feel sorry for people who support Man United or Middlesbrough. You do? They have to wear such vile scarves, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> the least they deserve. It. No, seriously. I mean, not. I just think red is a really crap colour. Yeah, color.
1: in cartoon language, most scarves are red and white. You know, kids' are comics, yeah. 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 I do think they are. And Melchester Rovers as well. And, Were um, they? Royal the Rovers, red. Red are and they? yellow. Are they? Red and yellow. Ah, red and, and yellow, yeah. colours. Yeah. Yeah. But other sides, foreign sides, bizarrely, you like the name of some foreign sides, quirky sides. Obviously, I had players who came under my aegis, notably Tony Woodcock, mm. who went to Cologne, or Oerster FC Kern, as mm. they're called mm. in Germany. And I've subsequently always keen to see, out of the German results, Cologne's results. They've had battle when the Bundesliga was first formed for yeah. the first... 10 or 12 years Cologne were the side that dominated now of course it's, it's Bayern right, yeah. Cologne. Cologne got relegated and in fact by Leverkusen which is a suburb of Cologne Tiny became little, a better yeah. side than uh, Cologne yeah um, I'm
2: only saying this because our producer Paul Colbrack, is fine, fine is, man, is fine a, man. Is, 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 I know that he won't edit this out because <laughs> I'm going to say that I, I had a brief affair with Watford FC under Taylor Graham Taylor they talked about the long ball, but I particularly loved a player called Les Taylor in the midfield. A tiny little guy. He must have been the hardest working footballer in England because he was he was having to chase these long balls and get ready for the knockdowns. He probably made more eighty yard runs than any other player in Britain. And and so I, I just liked watching. You Montford.
0: brought up a very interesting point, which is which is small players, because one of the sides I liked was Sunderland in the early nineteen sixties when they had a forward line including Johnny Crossley,
1: mm-hmm. who later uh, went to Sydney. nobody
0: was above five foot six. The yeah. whole forward line was mm-hmm. was, was mm-hmm. tiny, mm-hmm. and somehow, if you t- like Tommy Harmer, who used to play, was about four, in,
2: inside right of Tottenham Hotspur for
0: about five foot three or so. I mean, he was tiny, mm. but yet they managed to play in this really dangerous game where you got your legs broken, mm. and it was the sheer skill of these small players who had no physical presence it was just their skill that separated them from from the other players Mm. and it kept them uh, their heads above water as it were yeah and that's what I used to like about the the sides that I'd liked didn't have that loft house in them they
2: had Johnny Cross Mm. yeah and most teams did have a small creative inside forward indeed well uh, this guy wasn't small but he was a Wolves player and I can't have seen him but only read about him Peter Broadbent. Yes, well, he was I would have loved King. to have seen more Peter of yeah. him. Peter Broadbent was not small. He, he was wasn't he. small,
1: but he was elegant and creative. Yes, he was. And David, so,
0: going back to John, I mean, David
1: Gibson was Davey small. David Gibson was small. Yeah. David Gibson was small. Scottish. Uh, and had bow legs. And that added to the traction. There were a lot of scheming smallplex. Willie Colby was a favourite of mine, eventually came to Leicester, but re- featured at Derby. Tony Green. Tony Green, Blackpool, terrific player. Blackpool, Blackpool and, and Newcastle. Newcastle. Yeah. He was a wonderful f-
0: football yeah, did. did he get injured? He went down yes. the game
2: very early. Yes, he? he did. I mean, he could have, should have had a really, really great career because not only was he a creative player, but he also had a bit of pace on him. Yeah. You know, he could thrust forward a little bit like the tragically, prematurely killed John White mm-hmm. of Tottenham, yeah. who was, a, again, a schemer, a clever can opener of defences. But he also scored. 18 to 20 goals a season from midfield. And a, a green could have been of that ilk if injury had been a There bit was tiny. a
0: young, there was a player who played play for City at one point, but he started off in the, I think he played in the 55 Cup final for Newcastle, called George Hanna.
2: Oh, yeah. Who was, was great Crinkly-haired.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, tiny. You can only admire players in that generation who whose sheer skill it, kept them out of trouble. There
1: were younger, there were wingers as well from that period i can remember actually the swindon side mm. that got to the league cup final won it mm. who possessed don, don rogers. rogers who was a player way way Thri- below thrilling. That, at that period and i can remember when i was uh, at university traveling across to burnley just to see don rogers who had electric pace mm. and so on ian story Moore has been mentioned as well i think a player who could argue being the English George Best in a way? Oh, definitely he was a terrific player, a
2: wonderful player, and he's another one. He he was a winger. He yep. did all everything a winger does, but he was pretty close to a, a striker's ratio of goals. Oh,
1: well, he scored a lot of goals. Um, but he went to
2: United at the wrong time. Didn't it, well, he, he did, got injured. He got injured. He was um, training at the Cliff, mm-hmm. and he went up for a high ball, and the ground obviously was too hard, and uh, came down on that ankle, and they tried. it. Well, I mean, nowadays, his career would not have been lost. Mm-hmm. But the medical backup at Man United was absolutely shocking in those days. Well, it, it
0: wasn't just United, it was... Every, it was... Yeah,
2: pretty well everywhere, yeah.
0: I mean, do you remember Bert Troutman, um, when he broke his neck and he was staggering around and the trainer came on, he came on with a bucket of cold water and a sponge. Yeah, yeah. And sponging his neck that was broken that could have <laughs> yeah. killed him. Was the you know the high point of medical treatment in 1956? But
2: Bert Trackman would not have become a national hero
1: nowadays because he would have had to go off for a yeah. oh yes
0: concussion and all
1: yeah. The, yeah. the story but of Manchester. eventually had a player called Johnny Doherty who was reckoned to be one of the he would have great been, forthcoming be a big star. He was knee, knee injury. Yeah. They craftily transferred him to Leicester. Where That's right. <laughs> where well, he looked terrific, played four goals. Them and made money and then they decided, Oh dear, you that's the end of you, you you're t-
2: finished. You talk about great another one was Johnny Morris. Who we're talking about crafty inside yeah. forwards? Johnny Morris fulfilled that role for Matt Busby's first great team, known as the 48 team because he played in the classic Cup Final of 48 against Blackpool. Fell Blanco. out with Busby. Was, was fell out with removed. Busby. He defied Busby on the training ground and Don't do that Busby. Us. He says, "I'm walking off," and Busby said, "Well, just keep walking to Derby or, yeah.
1: or wherever he went." It was a record transfer. It was. And he then went to Leicester, and got sent off. Then he went to Leicester. You're yeah, right. In yeah. my first first game that I ever watched. Good play, but converted back from an inside forward then to a wing half. Yeah. So you didn't and get obviously. sent off very often in those days. That, that's, that's a he argued deal. a lot, didn't he? He was an arguer. He also was responsible for the sacking of Norman Bullock at Leicester because he organised some kind of.
2: He was a barrack room lawyer. Yes, as well. he
1: was. They came up, it was during Arthur Rowley's great period of, mm. of scoring goals, and they came up under Norman Bullock but went straight back down again because Bullock lost control of the team and Morris was apparently the organiser mm. of this. Uh, they went away for a weekend away game and Morris had them all out on the town or something. Yeah. That went. So Morris was a character who caused trouble pretty much wherever he went. Yeah.
0: Back to We've- the point of this, I also want to mention Ajax, or Ajax as we called him at that mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. in the Cruyff days. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they, they were a fabulous team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did change one's well, perception of how... Football should be played between. Mm-hmm. But I think they were the logical inheritors of Real Madrid, but were, were, were Ajax. Was there anybody in between that changed the, the way that we perceive football? No exciting teams. Benfica for short sure. period. Sorry, I
2: beg your pardon. Benfica, a very exciting Benfica team yeah. took over from Real Madrid for a short period. That's true, but no, there wasn't an exciting team really until that Ajax team that you're talking about. Uh, which which big be, up the Holland team? Cruyff, Nayskins, and yeah, uh, and, exactly. and all that because uh, I think the coach was Renas Mikkelson, yes. who's, who's yes. considered one of the great, the all time greats. And of course, with Cruyff in the team, and and everybody draws a line from Cruyff to Guardiola and modern football. Yeah, you know, yeah. probably began with that Ajax team. Yeah. but I think, and perhaps I'm countering John's anti-Leeds sentiments when I say that. I felt that there was a touch of total football about Leeds United. Oh,
0: there was. I mean, they, they, this is what, we, when we were talking about dirty Leeds, uh, question mark, it was frustrating because they were so capable of being so much better than they actually were. Mm. They had the skill and they seemed to be blatantly unwilling to utilise it. Well, they,
1: when they rubbed Southampton's Oh, the 7-0, in it, yes. I still love watching that. Mm. <laughs> Eddie Gray, talk about yeah. great wingers that we've seen you put into the context but a dribbling winger. You don't see so many of them these days. Charlie Cook, But yeah. we talked about the stylish players with Chelsea at that period, Osgood. Mm-hmm. Charlie Cook also personified the style of that Chelsea I'm, side.
2: I, I don't want to keep sort of plugging the same line, but I think modern refereeing, which is tolerant of shirt-pulling, I think we would get a lot of great dribbling in the game if referees had zero tolerance to shirt-pulling. I honestly think it's a, a really, really... Anti-creative force in the game, and I think that is almost entirely the reason. Can you remember that uh, during a Classico and Gareth Bale? He knocks it past the centre back, and he goes for it, and he has to run fifteen yards off the pitch because the centre back's mm. chasing him. Bale almost had to go out of the ground, pay to get back in, <laughs> so that he could collect it around the other side and complete the move with a goal.
0: Well, when I was uh, doing that's
2: how bad it is. Doing some of his biography.
0: Uh, I remember talking to him about one of my favourite tricks, which is he's coming down the right wing, and the left-back's mm. coming towards him. He knocks the ball in field, mm-hmm. and then somebody himself runs off the pitch. He yeah. comes down the other side and collects yeah. the ball. Yeah. And I, th- I always said, I thought that was brilliant. Why don't people do it now these days? I asked him. And he said, because they get booked for coming on the field without, the- <laughs> without <laughs> permission.
2: <laughs> was Summer one of your favourite players? Oh, then? yeah. Oh, he was the favourite player. You see, because I hate him. Um, I mean, he's a lovely boy. Well, hey, give me,
0: what sense? Because he was so aggressive. In his defence, what I would say, the reason I loved Somerby hmm. was he played with a sense of humour. I remember it so clearly. There's a policeman standing, you know, by the corner flag in the way. Hmm. Uh, somebody's taking a, a corner kick. And he takes the policeman's helmet off <laughs> and puts it on and then continues <laughs> playing. Well, that would never happen
1: today. At the time, it was absolutely wonderful. The crowd just adored him. Well, there is the sense of humour factor. You know, Birchnell. But when he took the ice cream off, the guy going round had a lick and put it down. And they actually sent a bill to the club
2: for the ice cream. Well, there was that awful incident where on a muddy pitch at, let's say, Dunfermline, Rangers were playing and Gaza was there. And the referee reaches with indignation for his card and the yellow card flies up in the air and lands in the mud. Gaza bends down, picks it up, Shows the yellow card to the ref, yes. who promptly gives him a second yellow card for insolence and right. sends him off. Oh, and I mean, it was a day of shame for the whole of Scotland, that really wasn't it? I mean, the
1: total lack of sense of humour.
2: I can say that because I'm Scottish. It was
1: the also involving Bertrand, the sit when they collided, fell down in the middle of the pitch and had a kiss in the middle of yes. the pitch. Who was, was this? It, it was Tony Turner Curry. Curry. Tony Curry, who was, of course, a great mate of Burt's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Burt's got lots of fan mail from all over the country. Oh, very good. Yeah, the sense of humour, I think, of a player does communicate itself. Another player who had a great dribbling skill, great player as well, Keith Weller, Mm. he would dribble. Mm. And if he was going and he went past one or two people, he would come to a halt and pretend to sit on the ball just for a second momentarily. Was he, um, was he an exhibitionist that way, Keith? He it? was, absolutely. Ah, yeah, there was right. that side to him. He scored a goal at Luton, mm. where he went through about six or seven people mm. on a dribble and then ended up with a shot. He was a great dribbler. He's not yeah. what one would call a winger, but although because he played, played centre-forward yeah. as well mm. for mm. Millwall, when he was there. But because Leicester had Worthington, mm. talk about sides you've loved, players you've loved, Worthington would come under that. Definitely. I think when that Weller goal the won the ITV goal of the year, didn't it? I think Which? it did. Yeah. The one well, at that Keith Weller goal. Yeah, at Luton. Went past six players. Yeah. Yeah, well, shot. Worthington must have won loads Worthington of awards won for one his, of, his uh, game. When with, he was playing for Bolton. Uh, at tip switch. Where he juggled the ball, knocked it over his head, yeah. came round and volleyed in. Yeah. Ernie Hunt. Roger Patrick Hunt, as he should really be known. Mm-hmm. Of course, pulled off the donkey kick. Uh, yes. Goal. Yes. seen on Match of the oh, Day. Really,
0: Willie Carr. With Willie Carr did the
1: donkey yeah. kick yeah. and Ernie Hunt scored with the volley. And then it was outlawed. Then, then it was outlawed. It, yeah. why? Next week.
0: For God's sake, why? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Brilliant yeah. really yeah. piece of skill and innovation. What, wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. What?
2: wonderful. I was at Wembley for the Scorpion kick. You remember the oh, goalie? Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. The Mexican goalie. It yeah. was a, a ball drifting in from, I think it might have be been a miss hit crossed by Jamie Redknapp. Yeah. There's only about twenty thousand there and when he
1: did this there was just this It was a gas. I can remember sitting in the stand and seeing that. And I later met him Yeah in Moscow, mm. a place to meet someone. Mm. He was with the World Cup legends when we went over for the World Cup draw. I don't ask for autographs very often, but yeah. I just said I was there for that game and so on. And that was the most astonishing thing I I have ever seen. And I've never seen it done again. No. I doubt we will ever see. Can you imagine being manager and a harmless (laughs) ball floats over and this bloke suddenly jumps in the air and and a ball that possibly might have gone in the net backheels it. It was just one of those landmark moments, such as the first time Crife went to Wembley. Mm. And we saw the drive turn, Yeah. and the way he absolutely controlled the game. Mm. He didn't score the goal, but he bossed it that yeah. game. And it was Doyle and Watson, the City centre halves, who were the Watson were the... against Maradona as well. I remember Maradona at Wembley when Maradona went past. Dave Watson, and Dave Watson looked over the wrong shoulder to <laughs> see where he'd gone. Yeah. Well, Dave was a
0: great player, but not that great.
1: Are you talking about the Dave Watson
2: from the north-east? From the north Sunderland l- to Very, City. very good centre-half, yeah. With, with, yeah. Well, a, a big man who could play. Funny
0: enough you say that, I thought he was a big man too, and I met him... Behind the scenes at, at City 20 years later. It wasn't that tall? It's five foot ten, nothing. No, God, nothing, because he nothing. had presence. Had such presence. And there was a game against Ipswich where it, City and Ipswich were both going for it, which it must have been 76 or so. Mm. And Watson was on was our side, it was 1 1, and the minutes were, in, were into injury time, and the corner comes over, and Watson starts from about 25 yards out and the ball's coming over the penalty spot, and he heads it from the penalty spot with such momentum and such force mm. that it was like a shot. Yeah. It went straight back in the net, beat him for pace, yeah. and won the game with at the last minute. It was a oh, fantastic And you think, this is a huge man, and he's not. He's not.
1: Mm. He's not.
0: Well, no, it, going on to it, the internationals we're talking about, I mean, so England is not, not available. I have a feeling that we're all going to go for the same one, but I need to ask you... John, your favourite international side?
1: Two. Brazil 70 and Spain, the later side.
2: I was surprised you didn't say Brazil 70 and Brazil 82. Because I can remember when the 82 Brazil team and the team of Zico, who never won a World Cup, one of the greatest players never to have won a World Cup, when they lost to Italy, the eventual winners, worthy winners, actually, I can remember being in the press room afterwards and you've got... You know, journalists have been to nine World Cups, so they are a bit hard-bitten, you know. Yeah, I've seen it all before, I've seen it all before. Among all nationalities, there was a mourning that that team had gone out of the World Cup in 1982, even though, you know, Paolo Rossi's hat-trick really was enough to settle any game. But they were a beautiful team, that team. The manager was Telly Santana, Mm. and they were probably a purer team than the 70 Mm. team. But yeah, if you talk about international teams, possibly the best. Although Manchester City in twenty twenty three have got you scratching your head, but up till then I thought Brazil nineteen seventy was the best football team, club or country that I'd ever oh, seen. Well,
0: I certainly agree with, with Brazil. The other two that I, I would go for one of which because I never saw it, but I've read so much about them, and I think they were so important in so many ways. This Hungary side of of the early 1950s, people felt about Hungary losing to West Germany in 1954 in the World Cup. The the way that we felt about Holland losing to West Germany. Yes, yes. These are the sides that should have won the World Cup. Hungary
1: certainly... I can remember being exhilarated by the performance of Hungary when they beat Brazil in the 66 World Cup. Yes, Florian Albert had an absolutely brilliant game that day. They had... Ben right winger, yeah, yeah, but Albert had that outstanding absolutely game, absolutely brilliant. So yes, Hungary, although as I say, that's a bit early for me, but that was the sort of last Hungary well, has never, now never subsequently it, been it? taken seriously it, after that well, World was Cup a as like, a world side. It was no. a bit
0: like United's, but the Busby Babes, and, and the sense of a great side cut off at its peak. Well, Busby yes. built off.
1: the
2: Busby Babes, having been totally in love with the Hungarians Well, there, you go. There's a, there was definitely a line to be drawn well, there and the, even more so than the Busby Babes actually, the difference was that the Hungarians changed positions you know, your number seven he basically caused a furrow up the right of the Field. That was his job, and the number three Where, knew yeah.
0: his job was to mark number seven, yeah. and number five to mark number yeah. nine. And when he wasn't, the, whereas wh- with I, the
2: Hungarians, they were almost accused of cheating. Yes, Hidiguty, he the, right. the deep lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although it was actually Manchester City who copied Hidiguti when Don Reavy became yeah. that player, the false nine, or withdrawn mm-hmm. centre-forward, whatever you call it.
0: Yes, this is why I'm not crediting uh, Guardiola with the false nine. I think it was, was, oh, it was 70 fa- years old exactly. the time. The
1: final bit, though, on this best other side and all that sort of thing, the fact is the three of us, and I suspect many people out there are addicted to football. We love football. Mm-hmm. And if you're like that, you only really have one side. I've told the story before about this very posh young lady who confronted Leicester who couldn't quite believe we were in the championship or first division or whatever it was called. Mm. And she said, um, why are you a Leicester supporter? Mm. I said, because my grandfather and my father and all the members of my family and all the rest. Now, if you look out the window, you can see where I was born and all the rest of it. And what is your second side? <laughs> was there, there, this was a bizarre thing. You mm. have to give the Shankley answer, don't you? Mm. Leicester reserves. Yeah, well, yeah. We, we haven't got reserve sides now, but... People who switch their allegiance, I'm always deeply suspicious of them as people. Not only as genuine football fans, but I doubt their... Integrity. Their moral fibre and their integrity and their very essence.
2: Yeah, you can't disagree with that. Although I think we've discussed on previous occasions, is it permissible for me, brought up in Scotland, and I love Dundee... FC more than... Life itself. Life itself. <laughs> am I allowed to support my local club, Fulham, in London? Because I, I simply can't afford, as a poor old-age pensioner, to go up to Dens Park Dundee every weekend. You mean they don't send a private plane for <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but it's not good for the planet, so I don't go...
1: <laughs> is, is it not allowed... Am I not allowed to do that? I think until electric taxis come in, Patrick, mm. to satisfy your ecological and yeah. economic uh, I'm wish to. to travel up, of course. And I, and I do walk a to A big Creighton friend Rogers. of mine, who, big, Le- you couldn't get any bigger Leicester fan than Dave Bartram, who used to be, mm. the lead singer of Shawaddy Waddy, yeah. moved out to live in Madeira yeah, and became a fan of... Union. Uh, no, the other one. Was uh, uh,
0: uh, um, it Reed's Hotel? Anyway,
2: yeah. <laughs> Reed's he, Hotel. Reed's <laughs> it Hotel, wait, it was 11. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, I played for the King Solomon's Palace Eleven in a lat. um, Did you? And and pulled, yes, pulled a calf muscle, I remember. Oh, oh, really? Carried off in the desert.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maritimo. Maritimo, yes. Yeah. So Dave Bartram, Mm -hmm. when living in uh, Madeira, became a big fan of Maritimo. Well, of course you're allowed to do that, aren't you? I think if I was going to live abroad, at one point I did think, should I go and live in Barcelona? Because I really enjoy... You know, you can get back yeah. to England very easily. Yeah. It's yeah. a great city. Yeah. I knew it quite well from Lineker's time there. And you could watch Barcelona on a regular... And Espanol. Uh, no. You no. couldn't watch Espanol. No, no, no. Because they represented Franco. You know, some of us, you and I, <laughs> Colin, have some principles On, <laughs> on right the
2: way time. back from a match in Barcelona once... I met a couple in their 70s, man and a woman. And I said, oh, have you been out to Barcelona to see the sights or to look at the art galleries? They said, no, no, we go out for every home match with season ticket holders. And they explained to me there used to be season ticket holders at West Ham, but they liked going to the sun. So they decided to change. They became sort of like corporate season ticket holders. They paid a little bit more, but you got a buffet before the match, a buffet at halftime, and a buffet of lovely tapas and stuff at the end of the game, plus a bar. And they would book Friday to Monday every second weekend so that even if the game was switched for TV, they'd still be able to see it. They would stay at the Princess Sophia Hotel, which, as you know, overlooks the ground. And for cup games and midweek games, they'd leave their season tickets with the concierge, who'd hand them out among the staff, so that when they came the following weekend for their league match, they were mysteriously upgraded (laughs) to the presidential suite. (laughs) And I thought it was a wonderful Mm. story. And and they said, But we absolutely love it and it doesn't actually cost that much more than going to West Ham. If you book your if you book your seats on the EasyJet, or you know, obviously other budget airlines are available, if you book it well in advance it's only about fifty quid return.
1: And, and, and I that, just thought Barcelona, was, they all... Barcelona represented well, so many good things. Yes. There were well, they... no sponsors' names. No, on n- no. Anybody who was a student of history yep. was on their side. There was a British connection yeah. there with the players who planned and there. Of course, they're watching and,
2: Xavi and Yes, yeah, and Messi, Messi.
1: And, and so
2: on and so on. So you're getting to watch Maria Carlos every week, basically. You yes. know, it's, what does she play? <laughs> She's a uh, place for Barcelona femenino. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, second sides. I don't think, if I'm really honest. Yeah, I can remember the moments when I liked odd second sides, as i said, but I'm afraid I can't ever summon up the level of passion no, for a second side. Of, of course side. not.
0: And I never actually supported Manchester United, even in the Busby Babe days. I, mean, I definitely didn't. I was a City fan, but I have to say that what they represented is replicated in all the teams that I like. The mm. creative nature of them, their local nature, their, their quickness and their willingness of, uh, to, to score more, to, to give away goals if they score more than the opposition. Yes. All that's very attractive. And, and it's whatever team that you like, if they embody those principles, I'll have a soft spot for them. So on that note, on that bombshell, <laughs> I want to say... <laughs> Thank you very much to John Holmes and thank you very much to Paddy Barclay, and from me Colin Schindler seeing you all next time on the Football Ruin My Life podcast and if you want to let us know what you think about us for good or ill write to us at footballruinmylife at gmail.com that's footballruinmylife all one word at gmail.com and we'll see you next time on the next edition of Football Ruin My Life thanks for listening
2: It's a wrap.